0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to uh, share this time together today as we continue in this engaged teaching series. Uh, one of the things that has been fun for me is just been talking to people a little bit about their experience of having to go and work from home. I lasted about two days working from home before I came right back to the office. Uh, admittedly, for some, working from home has been great. They've loved it. Uh, they've loved just It's been kind of a natural transition for them. But for other people, it's been a real challenge. And just kind of hearing people's stories about all the adjustments that they've had to make to their day routine and to their work life in order to make that work. Uh, And I found this week, actually, a page of tweets uh, that people have shared um, after being home working in, the, in their house with their spouse for over uh, a few months. So let me just share some of these kind of funny tweets about spouses as they've, as they've adjusted to both working from home. Uh, most of them are pretty nice. Uh, the first one goes like this. Watching my husband working from home confirms one thing. He does nothing in the office other than irritate people. Second one, my husband and I are both working from home and he's just sent around a memo about a total ban on office relationships. Uh, As my husband and I adjust to working from home, in the same home, we realize that we need a third coworker around the house to blame for all the poor office habits. Just being proactive, meet Dolores, and then they've got this picture of a teddy bear dressed up with a a tie around the neck, and it says this, uh, she's the one who left the unwashed coffee mug by the sink. My husband starts working from home tomorrow. He stopped at the market on the way home today so he could pick up a few things to have in the house. He came home with seven pounds of Cadbury chocolate eggs. Sounds like my kind of person. And then a nice one. This was, I thought we would end on a touching note. This tweet by a husband. Since most folks are working from home, is anyone else impressed with how hard their spouse works? How good they are at their job? You really never get a sense unless you sit next to them working all day. Really awesome to see my wife do her job all day. Well, these are stories of kind of adjustments. People adapting, making changes, relearning how to do the work or the career that they have in a brand new environment and in a brand new setting. And we've been talking about the fact that we're in that same kind of a season as a congregation. We're relearning How to be the church, not how to go to church, but how to be the church. And over these next five weeks, we're going to talk really practically about what it's going to look like for you and I to adopt these rhythms in our life that really are essential parts of what it means to be the church today. And I want to remind you again that our city needs us to be the church right now, probably more than any other time. But that's going to mean that we have to relearn, we have to do some things differently, um, we have to try to figure some things out, and we're in that season together. So I want us to continue our conversation uh, today, because one of the things that's going to, I think we're all going to realize, is that we all have to be more intentional than we've ever had to be. In order to be the church, meaning that some parts of being the church have happened more naturally, but now they're gonna require real kind of effort and thoughtfulness on our behalf. Meaning that some things just happened by being in this building with a lot of people in a service of worship that now require you and I to be intentional to make some plans, to, to kind of be proactive in being the church together. Um, And that's why we're calling this series Engage, because I really want to call you, call me, to let's, let's engage, let's be the church right now for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of our city. And so today as we start, I want us to talk about worship. What does it really look like for us to relearn how to be a worshiping community? Now, worship is an attitude. It's kind of uh, just each of us as Christians, we are worshipful in our demeanor and in our attitude. We wake up in the morning, we give thanks to God, we give thanks for our meals, uh, things that we're grateful for, we thank the Lord for on and off throughout the day. It's just part of our lifestyle. But it's also something that we do together together. As a community. And since the beginning, God's people have always gathered together in some form or fashion and way to express their worship to the Lord. They've taken their private faith or their private statements about kind of what uh, the Lord has done and they've declared it publicly that Jesus is Lord. He's our rescuer. And it's in He and He alone in whom we find life. I'm going to say this a few times today. Uh, We worship because God deserves it and we need it. We worship because God deserves it, and we need it. We, he, we des- he deserves it. The word worship comes from the old English word worth-ship, and we're grateful that they changed it because it's easier to say. But the Lord is worth our time. He's worth our attention. He's worth our devotion. He's worth us hanging in there trying to figure out how to do worship now in a brand new time. He's the God who created all things, but he's come near to us. And he's come near to us with unconditional love and the promise and power to put our broken lives back together again and then to display his glory for all the world to see. He's done that for us. He's worth our worship. He's the God who could have come and just passed judgment and death on us, but instead he comes in Christ with the promise of life. He comes and he invites us into his holy purpose and plan so that together we can be part of his redemptive redemptive mission here on earth. And? God cares about us, even today, about whatever it is you're feeling, whatever it is you're experiencing, whatever it is you're going through. God cares and he sees it. And so we gather together and we express our worship to him. But we need it. We need to worship Look, you and I are idol factories. We take things that God has given to us and we turn them into things to be worshipped. Good things like our kids, our spouse, our boat, our house, our finances, our pleasures. And we take all of these things that God gave to us for other purposes and we turn them into things that we worship and kind of pursue at 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 a divine kind of level. And these things cannot sustain the pressure of having to be our God That's a lot of pressure to put on your boat and on your kids. They cannot deliver on our expectations. But we also live in a day where we're told repeatedly that you and I have within us all the power and the ability to be happy, to have purpose, to heal ourselves, to fix ourselves, and so on and so forth. And again, what ends up happening is we find ourselves in these seasons where we're disappointed because we can't do these things on our own. And so, worship reminds us, when we gather together as God's people, when we sing and pray and hear the scriptures read and hear the testimony and the encouragement that comes from other believers, we remember that we need to gather together to declare to to ourselves and to the world that Jesus is Lord, he's the healer, he's the one who puts us back together again. And we discover that the very things our hearts are looking for is what the Lord has given to us in Jesus Christ. And so we worship together and we discover all these things. And then when we leave worship, we leave with a sense of clarity about why we exist, where life is really found, that we're not alone, and our purpose and calling to go out into the world and be his people and to be the church today so others can be a part of it too. So worship is not an empty tradition that we we do so that God won't get mad at us. It's a life-giving rhythm that's absolutely essential for us to be the church today. So what's that gonna look like? Now, I know you already know this um, because you've told us so. I wanna remind you about something. This basket of surveys has been sitting on my desk for a very, very long time. I want you to travel with me to a distant land, November 2019, uh, previously, the deacons board of our church had asked uh, a small group of people to put together, kind of, s- kind of help us wrestle with our future vision. In, in the process of those meetings, we came up with this idea, we should take a survey of our church. We have two things in particular we want to know. Um, are people he- as who are attending River Cross Church feeling connected? And are we helping you grow in your faith? Are we providing enough opportunities and giving you enough help and support in that? So we put together this survey, uh, 447 of you filled them out. And uh, we got them the end of November. Uh, we worked till the middle of January, entering all that data into a computer. We printed it all out. We, the committee met and figured it out, what it all meant, and we wrestled with it. Uh, we put together this presentation that we met with and shared with the deacons in the month of February. The deacon said, wow, this is, the congregation has told us so much stuff. We, we need to spend a whole day wrestling with it. So we did on March 14th. <laughs> And then something happened, I can't remember what, but we've just kind of gotten back to it again now. And you know what he told us in the midst of those surveys? 91% of you said this, weekly worship is helpful to your everyday life. 91% of you said the practice of being together with your church family the act of worshiping and singing and lifting up the name of Christ, hearing the scriptures taught, a gathering for prayer and being prayed for, being a part of a community, all of this, 91% of you said, this has been helpful to me in my daily life. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. What does this look like now? How do we continue to not just um, go to church, but how do we continue to be the church in a way that one of the results is we say, you know, this is such a valuable thing. It's an essential rhythm uh, to our lives. Well, it will not surprise you to know that in the Scriptures, we find people who are in a similar place that we find ourselves in, trying to relearn how to worship, trying to figure out how do we do that now, given the fact that our circumstances have changed. So I'm going to invite you today to turn with me to Joshua chapter. 24. Joshua chapter 24. And I'm being very careful because there's a wasp right now on my Bible that's staring at me and I'm staring at it and I'm going to try to read without disturbing it so if I start to fling and flail, you'll know why that is. Joshua 24 verses 1 to 15 says this. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders and the leaders and the judges and the officials of Israel and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abram, and Nahor, lived beyond the river, and they worshipped other gods. These were pagan people. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river, and I led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau and to Jacob, but his sons went down to Egypt. Notice the language here of how active and hands-on the Lord is in the life of these people. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out when I brought your fathers out of Egypt, I came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the sea. But they cried out to the Lord for help and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. There goes the wasp. And he brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw it with your own eyes, what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the desert for a long time. There's an understatement. Verse eight, I brought you out of the land of the Amorites who lived in the east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you, but I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Notice that language again. That throughout history, the Lord has been actively involved in these people's lives. Verse 11. Then you crossed the Jordan, and you came to Jericho. Think about that for a second. You've been wandering for 40 years through the the land, through the wilderness. You've been lost. You've been a nomadic people. You've been living directly off the hand of the Lord. You've been promised this promised land, but you have not yet received it. And then you crossed the Jordan that powerful, amazing day, and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you and did as the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, how appropriate, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, which is the Lord's way of saying. You didn't do this on your own strength. You were not your own Savior. I've been the one who has rescued you, redeemed you, and carried you this whole way. Verse 13. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. This is all the warm up. This is Joshua's kind of, I'm getting ready now to kind of do my altar call moment, and here it is, verse 14. Now fear the Lord. And serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, hear his pastor's heart, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the rivers or the gods of the Amorites in the land you are living. And in the words that probably maybe some of you even have in a plaque in your home, but as for me and my household, we will serve or we will worship the Lord. Now imagine for a second just the context of this kind of speech that Joshua has given to the people. They have just crossed over into the promised land. They had been in prison for 400 years in Egypt. They were freed. They wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And now they finally have crossed. They finally arrived. And now they're standing just on the other side of the river. Their shoes are still wet. And Joshua is speaking to them. And he's calling them before they get settled, before they unpack, hey, who are you going to worship in this season? Who are you going to worship in this season? I mean, think about the changes that they would have gone through. They had worshipped portably. They had been walking and packing and unpacking and setting up, and now they were going to be settled into a community and have kind of, worship was going to be so much different. These were like, you know, nomads living in the back of a Volkswagen van, you know, traveling from Walmart parking lot to Walmart parking lot who are now going to settle into suburbia into a split-entry home with a big yard and a minivan. I mean, this was a massive change of living that these people were going to go through. And before they get settled, before they unpack, before they get signed up for soccer and PTA meetings, Joshua says, look, look, you have to choose. You have to choose right now, before you get into a new routine and a new rhythm, you have to decide who are you going to worship. What's the role and the priority of worship going to look like in your life? This was such a huge change. The people had to relearn how to worship. They went from kind of their very portable model from getting up each day and, and to a kind of getting settled into a new land and establishing kind of their, their tent of meeting there, formally established for the people to gather around each day. It was going to be a massive, massive change. Now, part of me in my imagination, you know, over 20 years of pastoral ministry, I can guarantee you without a doubt that after their very first worship service in the, in, in the promised land, Joshua got emails. He got emails from people who are like, you know, Joshua, we really like portable worship better. It's so much more authentic. Um, we really liked like the pillar of cloud and the smoke and when God would throw fire down on us and give us manna. It was so cool and experiential. We kind of miss that here in the promised I can guarantee you that some of you them said, look, you know, this kind of worship, kind of where we're permanently situated, feels so institutional compared to kind of the free-floating worship we had outdoors. I'm guessing there was challenges. The point is this. The people of God were having to refigure out what does it look like for us to worship in a brand new land, in a brand new day. Kind of like we're having to experience right now. What's it going to look like for us to worship online? What's it look like for us to worship in person with the new restrictions that we have? It would happen again. They would later build the temple. They would have to figure out what's it look like to worship in a fancy building. The temple would be destroyed. What's it going to look like when we can't go to the temple anymore? Then in the early church, the Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people are gathering together in the city. It was a great and then persecution broke out and they had to scatter and there were now small groups of people worshiping in people's homes. Do you remember what happened in that story? The Lord exploded their numbers even though they were worshiping in such a different time. Wouldn't it be a great story if the retelling of COVID-19 during this global pandemic would be that while the church, while we were wrestling and figuring out what does it look like to worship together now, what does it look like to engage in this rhythm for our own lives that the Lord would do something beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine. Can you picture it? Well, what I want to do now, just for the next few minutes, I want to talk really practically, really specifically, to kind of the two new worship realities that we're experiencing here at River Cross Church. Worshiping in person and worshiping online because it's new and I think we're figuring some things out and and as I think about the conversations that I've been having, I wanna just kind of give some challenge and some encouragement to you as you continue to be faithful in worshiping together. Let me just talk to, first of all, to those of you who've been worshiping um, in person or maybe thinking about worshiping in person. Uh, with our COVID-19 protocols here at the church, we can have about 125 people in our worship center. We can have about 30 kids in our River Kid Zone. So that gives you a sense of how many people we can have here on a Sunday. Uh, it makes it a little bit less than our old 930 service used to be in terms of attendance. And I gotta tell you, it has been really, really wonderful to have people back. It's a different, I'm not gonna lie to you. It feels a little bit different right now. Uh, but it has been so wonderful Uh, to share in those services together. But it feels a little bit different. Uh, Let's be honest, we have to sit all scattered out like we're all strangers to each other, Uh, singing with a mask, it just stinks, literally and figuratively, it's just not the greatest. Uh, But these are the kind of things that we have to do and overcome in order to continue to be the church right now and to continue to this rhythm, this life-giving rhythm of worshiping together let me just make a few what I would call suggestions for people who are in that space and try to figure things out. Uh, first of all is this. Let me just continue to encourage you to engage in the service when you're here. I know it feels a little bit different because of we're sitting further apart um, and there's some other things that just we're getting used to, but let me encourage you to join in. To sing, to clap, to laugh at the pastor's jokes would be great. Um, plan to spend time after the service visiting with people. When you come here, uh, you know, when you, when you leave, I just encourage you, take some time. Plan, build it into your schedule. We've got these lovely picnic tables out in the, uh, in the parking or out in the yard. Invite someone, come over and have a visit with them. Get some time connecting with people again. When you're here, our prayer team is active and ready to pray for you. So if you want someone to pray for you, you don't have to be going through a crisis, but just someone to kind of spend some time, uh, take advantage of these things. But let me just encourage you again, when you're here, join in, participate, be responsive in the service. The second thing I would say is invite someone. There are other people who are ready to come back to in-person services, and would you invite them? One of my fears in this time is that we would lose kind of our outreach heart uh, and that we would think, be too reluctant to invite people to come back to service. Obviously, they need to be comfortable coming back in person. We're still giving out gifts to people who come for the first time. And we've had people uh, new to the church for the very first time, even since we've been meeting back in service. And it's been so great to kind of be reminded again that's part of our purpose as God's people. So number two, invite. Thirdly, just be patient. Be patient with us. We are figuring things out. Um, we're looking at things to be, to be bringing back into the service and so that we can kind of uh, make it feel kind of a little bit more natural as we gather together. So be patient with us as we figure all that out. And I'd say this to be patient with those who are not ready to come back yet. It's really important that we make no one feel guilty for not being, able to, for not being ready yet to return to in-person services. Uh, we're in the early days of reopening, and so we want to be gracious uh, to f- remembering that everybody's at different spaces uh, as we go through this time. So engage, invite, and be patient. Let me talk to those of you who are still worshiping Online. This still continues to be the majority of people every week. 80 to 85% of our Sunday morning congregation, worshiping congregation, is still worshiping online. So let me say a few things to you. When COVID 19 hit and we stopped our services and we went immediately to online, um, there was something. I don't know, uniquely special about knowing that we were all doing this together. I know not everybody could get online right away. And as we gathered together online, we realized not just hundreds, but thousands of people, not just from here, but across the country, were joining with us in those services. And there was something kind of unique about that time. <laughs> but it's been almost seven months now. And let's be honest. I know many of you are finding it hard to really engage in online worship. Some of you have stopped worshiping online altogether, and I get it. I get it. Others have fallen into the habit maybe of just watching, um, which again is great, but to engage and participate in worship is a whole other experience than just watching worship. And as a pastor, one of my concerns is that we just create the habit of tuning in, watching and turning off and never really participating or engaging in that worship experience. And I don't say that as a criticism. It's really hard and it takes a lot of intention. So let me just suggest a couple things that I would hope that you would think about and some of them might be applicable and you could put them into practice. The first is this, same as the last group, participate, engage, I know you're home. I know it's a little bit different, but sing, clap, beatbox on your your lap or on the person's lap next to you. Stand, sing, close your eyes for the prayer, have your Bible there, open it, bring a notebook, take notes, whatever it takes for you to be physically involved and mentally and spiritually involved in the service. Let me encourage you to participate. Some have shared stories about how they have to put their phone away during the service because they're tempted just to kind of get on and and kind of drift away mentally. Others have told me that they take about the first 10 minutes before the service and they just spend it in quiet, dedicated prayer just to get their heart focused and ready so that when the service begins, they're attentive and expectant. So what can you do to practically engage in our online services? The second thing I would encourage you to do is to connect with others, even though you're, you're watching online. For most people who are worshiping online, what you miss most is you miss people. You miss seeing people and being connected to people. So invite someone. Maybe if you're comfortable and they're part of your friends and family bubble, invite them to your house to watch the service together. Make it special. Now remember, you, can, you don't have to watch it at 10 a.m. You can watch it at 11. You can watch it in the afternoon. You can watch it later in the evening. I know a life group who told me the other day that they're all watching independently at home, but they're going to get together on communion Sundays so they can share communion together, each bringing their own elements to that time. Send a note to somebody and call them. Say, hey, look, I'm going to chat with you before the service. We'll watch it, and then I'll call you again, and we'll chat afterwards. Join in the chat feature on the YouTube site. Make Sunday social again. Think of ways that you can be connected to people, even as you're worshiping online. I think this would make those moments feel all the more special and be so much more helpful as you seek to, to engage. Finally, I'll just say this to you as well. When you're ready, we're here to come back. And maybe you're thinking about that. If you have any questions or wonder what that's going to look like, please don't hesitate uh, to give us a call. Worship is habit-forming. And when we stop, it's so hard to re-engage again. So let me just say thank you to you for your faithfulness and your willingness to keep wrestling with this and figuring it out and trying to figure out YouTube and trying to figure out the services in person here. Let me just say again, thank you to you. And we want to continue to do all that we can so that as you engage in worship in person and online, that you would still say that these gatherings are time together. is helpful for your everyday life. I want to close today just by simply looking at verses 14 and 15 again from this Joshua passage. It's Joshua's altar call moment. I think they're wonderful words for us to kind of end on today, especially verse 15 where he says this, but as for me and my household, we're going to make a choice. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to make the Lord a priority in our life. Worship is one of those life giving rhythms that we do that helps us be connected and helps us be the church. Would you today choose what is that going to look like? What kind of things do I need to think about? How, what kind of intentional steps do I need to take to be prepared for those times of worship so that the Lord can continue to speak to me? So that as I meet in worship, it's not about going through the motions or keeping God happy or keeping Rob from making me feel guilty, but it's a special time where you would say the Lord met me in that moment. I remembered again. He deserved my worship. He's been so good and so faithful to me, and I needed it. And what I received in those times allowed me to enter into my week remembering that he is Lord, that anything I'm going to need this week, I can receive from him, and that I exist not just to make myself happy, but to be a blessing to the people that the Lord has placed all around me. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're going to close just in a short prayer. I just want you to think about some of the things we've talked about today and and hear those words again of Joshua. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Is that the prayer of your heart today? Lord, this morning, we thank you that you love us, that you see how difficult and frustrating and challenging this time has been. And Lord, we pray that you would meet us in those moments and and just help us find our way forward. Lord, we want to worship you today because you deserve it. You have been so merciful and gracious to us. And when we just stop and think of it, our hearts fill with gratitude to you. And Lord, today we just confess that we need it. We need to be reminded that we are not the center of the universe. We need to be reminded where our life and hope is truly found. And Lord, as a church, we need to be reminded today that we exist for people who don't even go here. God, that we might be a blessing to them. So we thank you. Lord, I just pray for our whole church family, for anybody that's watching online today for anybody that's going to be gathering on Sunday in person. Lord, that you would meet them in a special, life-giving way as we all seek to figure this out. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.